Good morning. I want to start out with a question this morning. Uh, it is inevitably Super Bowl Sunday, so for those of you guys that are fans of football, somebody today is going to end their evening disappointed. One way or another, somebody is going to be very disappointed. Unless you're voting for team refs. Um, but uh, my, my question really this morning, my first question really is, is, is how do you handle, how do you deal with, how do you approach disappointment and discouragement? It is a reality that all of us deal with in some way, shape, or form throughout our entire story, whether we are uh, people who love passionately Jesus or people who are drug here this morning because it's Super Bowl Sunday and somebody said that there was coffee and donuts or something like that and you're here this morning, right? But all of us deal with disappointment and discouragement. So how do you, how do you deal with it? Ask yourself this question. If you're taking notes, maybe you write it down in the book or something like that. Like, do you attempt to control the situation? Like, try to, like, I'm going to, like, everything's chaos, and so I'm going to control this one thing. Uh, do you lash out? Anger, maybe sharp words, maybe punch walls, kick things. Uh, do you seek to medicate? There's lots of different ways in this culture that we look to medicate ourselves through uh, alternative substances or alternative engagements with our eyes and our mind. Uh, maybe you're someone who is super introverted and chaos and disappointment and discouragement make you just hide within your shell like a turtle. Uh, as is common, unfortunately, in my family story, there's always some sort of adversity that we are dealing with. I, I, man, I hoped 20 years ago that when I became a Christian that things were going to get easy, <laughs> that things were going to be a little less chaotic, maybe a little less traumatic, a little bit more, little bit more happy, less difficult. I'm finding that is true to some degree, but it's also not true. Uh, I was out of town on work uh, Sunday through Thursday, uh, Tuesday last week, and unfortunately, any dog lovers in the house? Any dog lovers? Can't trust cat people, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, as a man who has cat, had cats, I love cats. Um, I have an 80-pound American Bulldog Rescue, and... He loves people. He is the most adorable, cuddly thing. When I had cancer, he was my teammate on the couch, and he kept me sane and gave me something to do, like walk, instead of like laying there cathartic. Unfortunately, he's not super good with other dogs. We have another dog in the house, and he's great with Issa, but for whatever reason, he thinks he needs to protect everybody from the other dog outside. And while I was out and away this week, unfortunately, Poe took it upon himself to protect mom and his little sister dog, and put a hurting on another dog. And unfortunately, drug my wife literally across the street. This 80-pound dog drug my, my tiny, petite little wife across the street, screwed up her, uh, her court clothes because she had to go to court for work that day, and really put a hurting on another dog. So uh, if you're a praying person, and I'm hoping that a lot of you are, my family could use a lot of prayers as we try to navigate this situation. As I took this phone call on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, in Charleston, where I was at for work, all I could do was just look at my wife on FaceTime and say, are you okay? Take a drink of water, calm down, pause, call your boss, tell your boss that you need some time this morning, reach out to the other family if you can, go take a shower, and reset the day. And my coworkers looked at me and said, how, how do you stay calm? I mean, do you need to get on a plane? Do you need to go home? And I said, no. I, I, it's a two-hour flight and then an hour and a half drive from Newark back to my house. By the time I get home, chaos is already taken care of. Everything's settled down. Everything's calm. There's nothing I can do. I was completely powerless in that situation. 
And it's a situation I find myself in a lot since I became a Christian, especially. <laughs> There's just chaos. <clears throat> and the reason that I, I think that I can find comfort and peace in that disappointment and that discouragement is this life verse. So we're going to look at it on screen right now. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And Paul writes to his friends in Rome, and he says that we know that in all things, all things, the good, the bad, the chaos, the discouragement, the disappointment, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, it's a promise that's really hard to hold on to when you're stricken with cancer. It's a call that's really hard to hold on to when your mentor is passing away or your mother is passing away or your children are dealing with mental challenges or if your work life is chaotic. But time and time again, over my 20-year walk with Jesus, I found this promise <clears throat> to be true time and time again. That God has a purpose for every obstacle that is in our path. That God has a plan for every encounter that we have. It says in James chapter 1, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, at this point, I'm looking at God thinking that, darn it, I'm pretty mature. <laughs> How much more mature do I got to be? <laughs> How much more? And yet God, in his infinite glory and wisdom and his promises, says that he's going to use all things. And so I, I want to preface our conversation this morning, not because it's Super Bowl Sunday, but because Jesus is going to have a conversation that's really, really important with some folks. It talks about him being the resurrection and the life. It was just one of seven I am statements, or ego in me, if you are familiar with the uh, Koine Greek it is one of seven statements in the book of John that Jesus says, I am who I am. I am in the beginning, in the end, and everything in between. And it's a promise that you can hold on to. And so I just want you guys to think about this morning, and here is the question that I will phrase with you. What will it take for you to trust God with the outcome when you're waiting for the job? when you're waiting for the clean diagnosis, when you're waiting for the clean bill of health, when you're waiting for the report on your child, when you're waiting for the next opportunity, when you're waiting for the chaos to end, what will it take for you to trust God with the outcome? In my walk, it has been a series of obstacles and inconveniences and challenges and things that make me stub my toe and say bad words that I can't say in church to trust God with the outcome. And I'm still learning to trust God with the outcome. So, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I really want to encourage you to open it up today. We're going to be in John chapter 11. We're going to do a lot of reading today. I believe that it's important for us to hear the word and read the word and go through what Jesus has to say. So before I do that, I want to talk about some of the main characters in our story today. So number one, there's a dude named Lazarus. Any fans of the movie uh, The Big Lebowski? The Dude Abides? So we have, we have, number one, the dude, Lazarus. His name is driven from the Greek word Eleazar, which means God assists. 
God assists. Think about that when we're reading through this today. Number two, we have a place called Bethany. Bethany is also known, uh, translates to house of suffering. Think about that as we're reading through today. We have two phenomenal ladies that happen to be sisters of the dude. We have Mary, who we always see in a worshipful position towards Jesus, either on her knees or dumping perfume on him, but always waiting at his feet. And then we have Martha, who's always getting something done. She is the doer of that household, always doing something. So think about those things as we dig into our passage this morning. It's up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you need a Bible, we have some out in the lobby. Please grab one. They're free to you. We want you to have God's Word accessible and able to be read. Here's what it says. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in what? Death. No, it is for God's what? Say that again. It's for God's what? Glory, Glory that the, that, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this sounds funky, but work with me here, folks. He stayed there for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to kill you. And yet you are going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them there plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. That's where we're going to pause with our first part for this morning. So we have Mary and Martha, whose brother is now passed. We have the disciples, who are just betrothed to Jesus, their Lord, their Savior, their rabbi. But they're like, dude, why do you want to go back to the place where they tried to kill you? That doesn't make any sense. And so Jesus rebukes all of them with this comment about light and dark, sleeping and being awake. And he puts all that together to just kind of say, like, look, guys, there, there's something that's going to come out of this. God's glory is going to be out of this. But you don't see it right now, but something good is going to come. And so in verse 4, when Jesus receives this message, he's, he's indicated that the result is not what it's going to appear to be. You know, and there's this great story in Genesis about a young man who gets exiled to Egypt by his brothers. And he says, what you guys meant for harm, God intended for good. This is a situation where what looks really, really bad, God's going to do something really good out of. But it takes... Trust. Trust on the disciples' part. Trust on Mary and Martha's part that something good is going to come. And so he tells them, like, hey, this sickness is not going to end in death, but 
it's going to work through God that I, the Son of God, God in the flesh, will be glorified. You don't understand it now. But I'm here to tell you that the obstacle that you're facing right now, whatever it is, whether it's a diagnosis, a disease, a a job issue, a marriage issue, a relational issue, a challenge with your kids, a challenge with your schoolwork, it's an obstacle that God is going to use to purify and protect and grow and strengthen you. God is going to be glorified through it, but do you trust that he's going to have a good outcome? Do you trust that his outcome is your outcome? Because the death of Lazarus was not the end of the story. But the glory of God would be evidenced because of what Jesus would do. He was going to bring him back from the dead. The glory of God would be manifested in the resurrection of Lazarus. It would be shown to show the glory of God personally and immediately in the person of Jesus. In verse 9, we see this talk about light and dark. And I, I think what John, the author, is doing here for all of us is he's kind of using this literary story of multiple layers to the onion. That there's not just the glorification of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but he's referencing our spiritual condition. When we walk in the light, the Lord directs and guides our steps. But when we're walking in the darkness, we're trying to walk under our own power. We're trying to walk under our own understanding, under our own control, under our own desires, trying to manage the outcome because of what we want instead of trusting God with the outcome of what he wants. This spiritual nightness is something that we all deal with. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we are still prone to this. This is why sheep leave the pen, and Jesus goes out and brings them back in, drapes them over his shoulders, walks them back to the ship, puts them back inside, closes the gate. This is what he does time and time again for each of us. And then we see at the very, very end, we see Thomas, Didymus, the, 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 the twin, so to speak, stuck in this fearful, fearful position of night, not believing that God had a plan even about going back to Jerusalem, going back to Judea, back to Bethany, which is just two short miles away. They're looking at Jesus like, dude, you're, you're going to go, they want to kill you. They literally want to kill you. You're going to go back to where they want to kill you? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense for firefighters to rush into burning buildings or for military members or law enforcement to put on a uniform and go and protect out others. But this is what Jesus did. This is, this, is, this is what that higher calling is. As with so many of us humans today, our human problems crowd out the sense of God's divine presence in our midst. And as a result, our disappointment and hopelessness can reign. So here's my question. How do you deal with disappointment? Do you doubt like Thomas or resign yourself to the, well, let's just go on back to Jerusalem and get killed with our leader. This is cool. Do you do that? Do you, do you have the, this Martha heart like, oh, Jesus, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have just snapped your fingers and made this happen. Why didn't you? Slot machine Jesus. Are you stuck in this condition of walking between night and day? And you think maybe you've got this little lantern, but the lantern is not really shining any light. It's just your hopeful control of the situation that isn't going to end well. So many of us resign ourselves, even in the company of God's presence, to being disappointed and not letting God lead. And that's not to say that being disappointed is not something that happens. And we can be disappointed. I get disappointed when the Chiefs win or when the Eagles win. 
Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I get disappointed when the ref throws a flag. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Super Bowl Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. Um, no, but I was disappointed in my dog. I love my dog. He's my, my cuddly, affectionate friend. But I was disappointed in his behavior. I love my wife. I was disappointed that she couldn't bring him back in. It's not her fault. Couldn't have mitigated that. Doesn't ma- when, when a dog gets on tilt, there's really nothing you can do but pray. Um, which we did a lot of too, and we're still doing. So how do you deal with the disappointment? Do you hold on to it and this sense of entitlement? Like, ah, I'm just so disappointed. I get to, I get to be here. I, I should be here. Or do you say, okay, God, what is the bigger plan that you have here? What it, where, where is your light? I need to find your light, and then I need to let your light shine, and I need it to guide me. Picking up our story in chapter 11, verse 17. Big chunks of scripture today, ladies and gentlemen. Big chunks. on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, about about two and a half, yeah, two clicks. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. This is important for a second. Think about this. Lazarus is the only male in this house. We'll get to that in a second. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. We'll dig that out in a second, too. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I can hear this resignation in her voice. Jesus says to her, but your brother will rise again. He will live again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I... I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here for you, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb and mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Remember what I said about Mary at the beginning? She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also, Weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. When the Jews said, see how he loved him. Or then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? There's so much going on in this passage. It's, it, it's a lot to unpack, but we see Mary, the doting worshiper, come and fall at her feet in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, if you'd just been here, he wouldn't have died. We see Martha enter first, and she shows up like, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha, the worker, Mary, the worshiper, they, they, they are two sides of the same coin in each of us. Those of us who think we had to be busybodies to get the attention and the affection of the Lord. 
and those of us who just sit patiently at the feet but still doubt and are discouraged at the outcome and the circumstances. I heard a wise man once say that our sin is like a lit match that falls into the ocean of God's love. Our sin is like a lit match that falls into the ocean of God's love. There's no room for doubt or disappointment or discouragement in that. There's just the overwhelming rush of being comforted by the Father. It's hard for us, our fickle human hearts, it's hard for us to stay in that place. Lazarus, the oldest person of the household, he was the brother, he was the wage earner, he was the one with political influence, he was the one who was recognized as the leader of the house. His death would have meant not only financial ruin and degradation for Mary and Martha, it would have meant that they'd had no voice in Jewish culture, it would have meant they'd had no representation, they wouldn't have been able to own property, they would be renounced to being beggars, to being spiritually bankrupt and poor, and life bankrupt and poor. And here's Jesus showing up on the scene to remind them, like, if you believe, he will live again. So, Christian, if you're in the room here today, do you believe not just with your words, but with your heart, that Jesus is the life, that he is the resurrection and the life, not just in the today, but in the life to come? Or do you provide the appropriate platitude of Christian belief that, yep, I believe it. I'll rise again. It'll happen. Because I think that's what Martha was stuck on right now. I think Martha wanted to believe. She understood the Jewish customs. She wanted to believe, but she just couldn't make her busy heart walk across that bridge. Interesting things in this passage, for Lazarus to be dead four days in that tomb, there was this Jewish belief at the time that the spirit hovered over the body until the fourth day in which it finally ascended up to heaven. The spirit hovered over the body waiting to come home or to be released. So when Martha says, Jesus, he's been in there four days, he's done. She's not just talking about the smell. She's saying like, hey, according to all of these worldly customs that we believe in, that we've been holding on to all this time, that he's beyond resurrection. Jesus had to wait those two days before he returned because people needed to see the glory of God revealed in him to break their mindset of what they thought was true about God. What do you think about to be true of God that he needs to resurrect in your heart today to change your mind? Because none of us are too far gone. None of us are too far dead to be resurrected. He can make it happen. But are you stuck are you stuck with that Martha heart of like, I have to be busy, I have to do all these things, I have to make it happen? Or are you like Mary, where you're just so stuck in your disappointment and your discouragement that you're like, God, he's too far gone? That's my question. How do you deal with the discouragement? Discouragement will come. I am discouraged that my pup made a bad move. I'm discouraged that the family of the other dog hasn't let us have conversations with them for us to make things right. They're hurt. I understand that, and I'm sorry. I can't make amends yet. I'm in this place of discouragement where I'm wondering, is, it, is this some, something that I can help fix? 
Or am I going to trust that God is going to use all things for his glory, even if it doesn't look like it's going to work out the way I want it to? It's so hard to sit in this place of discouragement, yet trust God with the outcome. Yet that's what I am forced to do today. And it's okay. It's going to be okay. I believe that it's going to be okay. Even if I don't think it's okay the way I want it to be. Because I've seen God deliver overabundantly time and time again in my story. Whether it was healing me from cancer, restoring a marriage, giving purpose to my work, giving meaning to the places that I've gone or the relationships that I get to have. Time and time again, God has shown to be faithful, true, and worthy of my trust. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Let's finish up our story. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order. He's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, I, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? How cool is it that these people got to see the glory of God, literally right in front of us? How lucky they had. How many of us are like, I want to see God do something crazy cool? Do you really, though? Like, are, will you be able to, like, not be, like, prostrate on, your, on the ground on your face when God shows up? Because that's what I see all the time. If Jesus showed up right here, ooh, mm, sorry, ADD moment. So they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe that you sent me. When they had said this, Jesus called out in a voice, a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out with his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, as was custom in the tradition at the time, and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be released? This is my last question for you this morning. Do you want to find deliverance? Are you stuck with grave clothes wrapped around your wrists and your hands? Trapped in a pattern of sin, a pattern of hopelessness, a pattern of discouragement, a pattern of disappointment, a pattern of distrust. Do you want to be delivered? Because Jesus is calling you out of the grave. He's calling you out of your sin. He's calling you out of the frying pan and into the ocean of his love and his grace. Lazarus had been dead four days beyond resurrection, beyond hope, according to the custom. And here's Jesus putting the smack down on the human line of thinking, thinking we've got it all figured out. It ain't going to be what you think it's going to be. I am God in the flesh. I am going to make something happen. And you get to see the glory. Lazarus, get up, get out. Take the grave clothes off. He's, Jesus is making that invitation today to us right now. There's a book that a good friend of mine told me to read called Chop Wood, Carry Water. And in, in this book, one of the quotes that he says that I thought was so poignant for today's message was that the ultimate illusion of the human experience is control. That'll be my next quote. Uh, the ultimate illusion of human experience is control. 
the person that you want beside you in battle is the person who has surrendered the outcome and surrendered the fact that they might die. When you surrender the outcome, you are freed up at, to be at your best, to be fully present in the moment, and to trust your training. It is the one who has surrendered the outcome who ironically has the greatest outcome of survival. Think about that juxtaposition for a second. When you surrender the outcome, when you let go of the steering wheel, you have the best outcome for success in getting there. That is so counter to our mind, so counter to the way we think things work. And yet time and time again, I see God prove that to be true in my life and true in the life of others. Have you taken the time to see if God would do that to, for you? I'm not saying take, let go of the steering wheel as you're driving today. But I am asking you to trust the outcome of tonight's game. Humor aside, we want to control. We want to manage. This is why we have addictive habits. This is why we, you know, spend all of our money on gambling or game, clothes or game. This is why there are addictions to porn and alcohol and, and shopping and lying. There's, this is why we are so broken because we want to manage and mitigate the outcome because we're so afraid that if the outcome goes against us, that it will be chaos. But Jesus says, don't worry about the chaos in the world. I've overcome that. Put your trust in me. Let me drive. I know it's not what you want, but I promise shotgun on the wagon is way better than riding on the front seat or in the caboose. So what will it take for you, ladies and gentlemen, to trust God with that outcome? What will it take for you to trust God with the outcome? When Jesus stood outside the tomb and he said, roll away the stone, he did it for the benefit of others. He didn't have to say that out loud. When he prayed the prayer in front of the people, he didn't have to pray that prayer in front of others, but he did it so that why? We might believe. Because he knows that our mind it's, it gets tripped up, it gets messed up, it gets shackled. So what will it take for you to trust God with the outcome? Because as often uh, as I read in, in the book Chop Wood Carry Water, hardship often prepares ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Hardship often prepares ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. I would rather have the person who's been through hell on the battlefield next to me than the person fresh out of training. And I can say that because I've lived it. And I would hope that each of us would do our part as people who are trying to follow Jesus to do the training and to go through the hell, to go through the tough spots, because it makes you fervent, it deepens your faith, it strengthens your resolve, and it helps you to trust that God will come through with an outcome that maybe isn't what you want, but what he wants. And as you surrender your control, you see something beautiful happen in front of your eyes. That is the miracle. That's what's waiting to happen. That is God working in the flesh today. Are you willing to go through the tough to get to the place of faith? I know it's not sunshine and puppy dog tales, folks. It's a tough message to preach. But if he is the resurrection and the life, he didn't say that it was going to be an easy life, but he said that it's life. And for this guy, 
I like life. I'm a big fan. And I hope you are too. Because in life, I get to have the freedom of trusting the outcome to God. I get to have the freedom of knowing that his best, my best interests are in his heart. And that he's going to use whatever happens in my story to be a benefit to others. Would you pray with me? Father God, um, it is so hard to let go of the steering wheel, to let go of control, to let go of what we want to happen. It's so hard to take off the grave clothes of sin that have trapped us in habits and patterns for so long because they get so comfortable. And yet you are calling us out time and time again. You're calling us into the light. You're calling us to move with your speed, with your grace, with your intentionality according to your plan and not ours. And yet somehow in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, you're making sense of it all. So Lord, I just pray right now that and if there's somebody in this room today Lord, that just that needed to hear that, that, that you delivered that, that if, if there's a heart in this space, whether watching it online or, or here today with us or listening to it later, that there was something that, that, that jumped within them and it was your spirit. And that as your spirit takes deep root and hold the heart of our hearts, Lord, that our eyes would shift, that our ears would shift, and that we would trust our footsteps to you in all things. And I praise you in the perfect name of Jesus. We all said, Amen. Amen.